You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. The Warriors, which came out in 1979. It was directed by Walter Hill. It stars Michael Beck, James Remar, David Patrick Kelly, Dorsey Wright, David Harris, Deborah Van Valkenburg, Brian Tyler, Marcello Sanchez, Terry Michos, Roger Hill, Dennis Gregory, and Lynn Thigpen. The genre would be urban adventure. We're going back. The Warriors are 27 miles from safety. It's the only choice we got. They're in a war zone called New York City. Every gang wants to get them. Every cop wants to bust them. They have one way out. They have one chance. They have one night. The Warriors, rated R. With all the legend built up behind this movie, it's really easy to forget just how much damn fun it is. It all revolves around a deceptively simple premise. A relatively small gang known as the titular Warriors must get from the Bronx to Coney Island via about 50 miles of subway train past dozens of other rival gangs who are out to get them after our protagonists have been falsely accused of killing the charismatic Cyrus, the gang leader who is trying to unite all gangs around New York. Just so much to choose from of the different gangs, from the Keystone Cops and competence of the Baseball Furies to the surprising diversity of the Turnbull ACs. I mean, they're supposed to be skinheads, right? To the aw shucks insecurity of the orphans. Hey, you think the orphans ain't with it? You, you think the orphans ain't well known? We didn't say that. Well, we got a heavy rep. You mess with us and you'll find that out. You see that? They write about our raids in the paper. Yeah, that's really heavy. To the intimidating discipline of the Gramercy Riffs, to the dangerous allure of the Lizzies. Famous warriors, the guys that shot Cyrus. Shit, the chicks are packed! The chicks are packed! All the way to the seemingly superhuman stamina of our titular protagonists, the Warriors. And wow, can those dudes run. We see off the bat when the Warriors are about to board the train to head home when suddenly a bus filled with those aforementioned Turnbull ACs comes barreling towards them. And amazingly, they outrun this bus by a significant margin and make it to the stairs, taking them up to the platform. This is just the first of a series of lightning-fast action set pieces sprinkled throughout the movie. Now, yes, there are several bad line readings. We found what we're looking for. No. No. It wasn't us. It was them. The warriors. You warriors are good. Real good. The best. And more than a couple of awkward stunts. But for the most part, this just delivers as a trashy exploitation time capsule of a time when much of New York City was just an utter shithole, <laughs> making it a ripe playground for those, quote, armies of the night. Highlights from the cast include the quiet smolder of Michael Beck playing the de facto leader, Swan, the lifting oratory of Roger Hill, who plays Cyrus, the demented douchiness of David Patrick Kelly playing Luther, who also delivers the film's most often quoted line. Warriors, come 
allowed to play Warriors come out to play Warriors come out to play And great lip acting from Lynn Thigpen as the DJ who provides a running commentary throughout the story All right now For all you bompers out there in the big city, all you street people with an ear for the action, I've been asked to relay a request from the Gramercy Riffs. It's a special for the Warriors. That's that real live bunch from Coney. And I do mean the Warriors. Here's a hit with them in mind. At a tight 92 minutes, this thing just moves, with new delights and surprises around every corner or alley, including a kick-ass guitar synth score from Barry Dvorzen, along with several smooth extended shots of grimy cityscapes thanks to DP Andrew Laszlo. This movie is completely 100% deserving of its cult status. It remains one of the last great genre films of the 70s. This brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. The best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. Because music is essential to film. And speaking of Barry Dvorzen's score, it helps set the stage playing over a sharply edited opening credit sequence, which starts off with our eponymous warriors first entering the subway in Coney Island, on their way to attend this mass gathering of all New York City gangs up in the Bronx. The synth picks up, the guitars kick in, and suddenly the camera is following the subway with credits coming at the screen as it barrels down underground tunnels. We have alternating cuts to various gangs getting on at different points, all wearing their different crazy getup, and each of our titular warriors having a short exchange with Cleon, who is nicely played by Dorsey Wright, who was initially the leader of the warriors. Going in there like everybody else. Nine guys, no weapons. This whole sequence helps tell us everything we need to know about this world within the first six minutes. It's efficient storytelling, helped in no small part by this propulsive music by Dvorzen. And this opening credit sequence leads directly to our trailer moment. The scener moment that best describes this movie. This would, of course, be that epic gathering of all New York City gangs at Van Cortlandt Park, which sets the story in motion. Apparently, this was all filmed at a small, narrow park alongside the Hudson River. But you wouldn't know it because this is a massive gathering, including more than a thousand extras, all packed on a relatively small plot of land surrounding a playground. And yes, most of them were actual gang members at the time, who were all surprisingly well-behaved, and they really did respond with enthusiasm to this short but rousing speech given by Cyrus, charismatically played by Roger Hill. Now look what we have here before us. We've got the Saracens, sitting next to the Jones Street boy. We've got the Moonrunners, right by the Van Cortlandt Rangers. Nobody is wasting nobody. That is a miracle. And miracles is the way things ought to be. 
You're standing right now with nine delegates from a hundred gangs. And there's over a hundred more. That's 20,000 hardcore members, 40,000 counting affiliates, and 20,000 more not organized, but ready to fight. 60,000 soldiers. Now there ain't but 20,000 police in the whole town. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Hill delivers this speech standing atop a tall wooden slide platform, and it's quite fun and quite quotable. Cyrus is, of course, the outspoken leader of the Gramercy Riffs, which is apparently one of the larger gangs in the land, and yet has minimal security in place for their main spokesman, because his speech is cut short as he is shot right in the chest, and instantly killed as he falls off his perch in dramatic slow-mo fashion. It's a startling moment for sure, and it occurs just as several NYPD cars start pulling up setting off a mass exodus of hundreds of gangsters who scatter like roaches in different directions. It's an impressively staged sequence showing chaos on a large scale, including a fight which breaks out in the middle of it. This is the only time we get to see Cleon in action, and he fends off several opposing gang members with some impressive kung fu moves before he is sadly overtaken by a swarm of Gramercy riffs. And that brings us to the next category, which would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Despite just how much I love the efficiency of this movie, its most frustrating aspect is that our time spent with some of the most interesting cast members is often cut short abruptly. Now, much of this was due to a couple of difficult cast members on set, all under the supervision of a no-nonsense director who was just not tolerating any bad behavior potentially slowing this production down. Those two troubled cast members who I'm referring to are James Remar, who plays the scrappy but sleazy Ajax, and Thomas Waits, who plays the always alert Fox. And they're both set up early on in the movie as prominent characters. Waits would go on a couple of years later to have a memorable role as Windows in previous episode The Thing. And the dude just has one of those hyper-expressive faces that are made for the big screen. When Cyrus is shot at that early gathering, everyone in his section ducks on the ground, except for Fox, who is just staring aghast at what just happened. This makes it easier, of course, for Luther to point the finger at him as the likely assassin. It's a memorable moment, which you would think would have a later payoff. Except that during filming, Waits was allegedly always at loggerheads with both the writers and director, pushing for more lines and more screen time. Walter Hill became so aggravated with him that he pretty much just wrote Fox out of the story about 40 minutes in, having his character pushed off a subway platform by a cop, apparently to his character's death. But no other character even mentions him after that point, which is just kind of weird. And James Remar is pretty great as Ajax, and his character seems set up early on to have a brewing rivalry with Swan to be the reigning war chief of the Warriors. You just can't take your eyes off of him, and you're kind of expecting this rivalry to play a part in the latter part of the story. He also has one of the best lines of the movie when he stops running and decides to take on one of those baseball furies. I'll shove that bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle. And in the decades since this movie, Remar has gone on to have one hell of a strong career as a character actor, with memorable performances in movies like 48 Hours and TV shows like Dexter. Unfortunately, early in his career, Remar, by his own admission, had a significant drug addiction, often bringing chaos to the sets as a result. Now, he did get clean, but not during the shoot, and Hill got so fed up with him that he wrote his character out of the story roughly halfway through as we see Ajax arrested by an undercover cop in the park. Ah. Your nights in the park are over for a while, honey. 
You're under arrest. Why, lady? Come on, lady. Kiss my ass. And that cop is played by a very young Mercedes Rule. Yes, future Oscar winner Mercedes Rule. Before we never hear from her character again after that arrest. Oh, and there's more where that came from. Is that 80s B-movie badass Steve James playing one of the baseball furies? Wow. Oh, never mind. His character just got knocked to the ground unceremoniously. Hey, is that Billy from Predator? Sonny Landon playing a cop coming to fight one of our warriors in the subway. Whoops. His character just got knocked out with his own nightstick right away. <laughs> I mean, to be fair to this movie, this did come out in 79, in the early stages of the careers of most of its cast, so you can't expect every actor to have meaty runtime. But still, just so many abrupt character exits. This brings me to the final category, which would be the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. This movie would not work nearly as well without the assured direction of genre veteran Walter Hill. This was only the third film he had directed, and it was in the early part of what was a sneaky good run of genre films from him over the next decade, which started the year before with the seminal The Driver, and continued into the late 80s with Southern Comfort, 48 Hours, the charming camp classic pseudo-musical Streets of Fire. Now why don't you tell me your name? Tom Cody. Pleased to meet you. Brewster's Millions, which was one of my most rewatched movies on video as a young lad, the underrated war western Extreme Prejudice, and of course, Arnold teaming up with Jim Belushi for Red Heat. Now you would be hard-pressed to call most of these films masterpieces but they're all highly entertaining, featuring strong performances from pretty strong casts, and they never wear out their welcome. Also, Hill does with this story what I wish more directors would do, which is showing rather than telling. I mean, films are a visual medium, after all. The best example of this would have to be a quiet moment towards the end of the movie as the remaining warriors are almost home, sitting on the subway, and now including Deborah von Valkenberg's Marcy, who has decided to tag along early on and kind of struck up a romance with Swan. And these folks are battered, bruised, tired, and just sitting on one side of a subway car when at one stop, four bright-eyed teenagers dressed to the nines come popping in, apparently from a prom or a school dance. And as they're sitting on the other side of the car, these kids start to notice Swan and Marcy, who look haggard. And the smiles on these kids' faces start to disappear. And we see both Swan and Marcy staring back at them. The camera pans down towards Marcy's feet. And even though she's wearing relatively nice heels, we can see just how filthy her feet look. She's embarrassed. And as a result, she starts to pull back her hair when suddenly Swan just kind of stops her with his hand and stares back at these prom kids in defiance. It's a nice subtle moment portraying an ongoing class divide. It just adds a nice layer of subtext to the story. For helming what was likely the first great urban adventure in such a unique matter, Walter Hill is the MVP. Good news, boppers. The big alert has been called off. It turns out that the early reports were wrong. All wrong. Now for that group out there that had such a hard time getting home. Sorry about that. My rating for the Warriors would be four and a half stars out of five. And in case it wasn't already obvious, I can also proclaim this as one of the great New York movies, especially from this particular gritty mid to late 70s era, right alongside previous episodes Saturday Night Fever, Taxi Driver, Dog Day Afternoon, and The Taking of Pelham 123. And if you're looking to watch The Warriors, it is currently streaming on Paramount+. And that ends another good, real good, 
the best review. Special shout out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.